Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Uh, uh, today our setup's a little bit different. I'm actually talking to you from Yosemite Valley, and uh, Stephen and Seth are uh, back in New York, uh, and we're doing something a little bit different with the format for the, those of you that listen, and I know a few of you do. Um, we're actually going to be tightening up the episodes a little bit, so we're going to be shooting for 30, 35 minutes on the long side, uh, between 30 and 35, And but we're going to come back to topics uh, and revisit them uh, if we feel like they'll be fruitful topics uh, for discussion. So today, uh, we're coming back to the topic that Stephen and I discussed last week, which was Madness in America, and that was Madness in America Part 2, uh, and Seth uh, listened to that and our podcast on it and wants to have some things to contribute. And so we thought we'd start the conversation there. So Seth, if you'd like to leave, lead us in. Right. So I suppose after listening or rather while listening to the discussion that um, took place between um, Travis and Stephen, um, I, I had a, a series of questions that occurred to me. But one of them, um, which might be one of the more provocative ones, is is thinking about race, or rather thinking in terms of race. And I want to add all the time, or primarily, um, a kind of madness. And I, I suppose part of, partly I want to, I, I want to argue both sides. Um, there's part of me that thinks, actually, here's a, here's a good story. Um, when I was in college, uh, I was an English literature um, uh, major. And I, frankly speaking, I was a, a bit more advanced than a lot of the undergrads. Um, I was in the honors program, um, and, I, and I got to take sort of advanced classes. So I, I ended up sometimes spending a lot of time with the master's students. Um, and I also worked in a writing center, and there's this large quote, and I forget who uh, it's attributed to, but it was written out on a, a colorful uh, placard um, right at the entrance of the writing center, and, um, where a lot of the grad students um, um, worked and, and hung out. And on it, if, let, let me see if I can remember it clearly. It's, um, there is no race. There, are, there is no racial hatred because there are no races. Feeble thinkers, thinkers by lamplight, invent and rekindle book-learned races, which impartial travelers and loving observers look for in vain in the order of nature. The universal identity of man is obvious, oh, evident in his victorious in his victorious, oh, in his tur victorious something and his turbulent appetites, the soul equal and eternal emanates from bodies different in shape and color. Now, here's the story. I remember one day walking into the lab and there being this older grad student there. I forget his name, but he, I often saw him and we kind of both looked at the the the, the placard at the same time. Um, I'm not sure that that's the right word, but the 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 the, the quote. Um, and he says, "Yeah, I really don't know what that means. I have no idea." And some guy <laughs> next to him was like, "Yeah, what? What is that? There's no racial hatred." Uh, so I, you know, and a part of me. Part of me just rejected that. I just thought that's ridiculous. Like, wow, what kind of life are you leading that you can't understand that? 
that right. we that we right. can that we, that it's it makes sense to me to to say that we look in vain in the order of nature to see race right and yet at the same time and this is why i'm troubled by this question to not see race seems to me to be you know a kind of naivete that you just can't you can't get away with no right yeah or or a kind of privilege i mean there's the i mean that is sort of the the side of the argument that that a lot of times will get leveled against you know types of appropriation is that it's a privilege to be able to don sort of different racial modes um, in one's uh, cultural expressions. So, Stephen, what do you think about uh, Seth's, uh, like, sort of ambivalent feelings about race? So, on one hand, you know, it's uh, it's concrete and real for a lot of people that suffer from its uh, consequences. And then on the other hand, it's you look in nature in vain to find it. No, absolutely. I, I share his ambivalence, and I also feel like, there are group experiences shared by people mm-hmm. that people have um, that they have mis- maybe misnamed as race. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're cultural groups. Um, I don't like using the word tribe necessarily. Um, you know, ethnic groups and mm-hmm. these sorts mm-hmm. of things where one shares that. Mm-hmm. But I feel that it depends on the audience, and it depends upon like doing away with race means doing away with a lot of things that we've come to become comfortable with when identifying Mm -hmm. the Irish do this and Mm -hmm. the Africans, you know, because no one talks about Africans except outside Mm -hmm. of Africa (laughs) in terms of their (laughs) country's ethnic groups. You know, I went to Africa, that great country. (laughs) (laughs) So So there's a whole lot of countries there. uh, Extremely. Not just just Wakanda. (laughs) Not just Wakanda. Oh, my God, I love Wakanda. But you won't find me there. Um, so I feel like as I think about anti-colonial, um, work and, you know, and I also think about what it means to divest yourself of that kind of thinking and still want to have an insightful, thoughtful, engaged critique that doesn't absolve you from not dealing with how we see race in this country. We're looking at not just Donald Trump, but we're looking basically like the history of the country of the U.S., in terms of how race was defined and how whites became white, you know? And so this is, it's empowering. Um, Nell Painter writes about the history of um, white people in America and a number of other people. But when Seth was reading, the last thing I'll say is that James Baldwin in his um, his, his, um, tape is saying that all men are brothers. And if you can't take it from there, you can't take it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, the the gendered language, of course. But I love that thing because I was thinking... Wow, what a transformational idea. I mean, well, how transformative this idea could be if people really believe that, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe some of us do. I mean, I try to look at you as a human first or, or, and present myself as a human. But I also know that sometimes when I'm being talked to or talked down to, mm-hmm. um, I'm like, OK, so what do I do here? Do I play the game or do I... Um, run around this guy's back, tap him on the shoulder and go, no, I'm really over here. I'm really you. Oh, mm, no, you, do, you yeah. don't believe in humanity. So I need to, what do I need to do here? So I, I'm, I share your ambivalence, Seth. I think that's a great word. Uh, I mean, the, the, if I can jump in, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, the people I do my, uh, who supervised my dissertation, uh, Vincent Wimbush, he's done a lot of work on, on race and, and it's, uh, 
the way that uh, religion in the United States, Christianity in particular, the Bible in particular, got used in the shaping of African-American communities. And, you know, one of the the places where he and I disagreed regularly, um, even though I feel like he's on solid intellectual ground, is... You know, the idea, uh, so like, you know, think, take up something like Black Power or the Black Power Movement or something like that. That does a lot of good for a lot of people that feel disempowered by a system that because of the way that they represent themselves or just the way they look, the color of their skin, you know, obvi- being the most obvious way, th- that's a, it's a way for them to feel like to have a voice and to engage in that community. So it's and Stephen and I talked about this last week. So it's one thing to say like, OK, so I'm, you know, I have no problem entering into, at least intellectually, that space that that looks out at the world, you know, and, and maybe I try to do some emotional work along with that, but looks out at the world and sees sort of our common humanity. But when you live in a social universe, when you live in a system that that from in from your birth categorizes you, reads certain scripts onto you, onto your body, uh, onto your choices, then at that stage to say like, okay, wait, no, never mind, all lives matter, or oh, wait, never mind, we're all brothers, we're all humans. Right, like right. You, ha- you, haven't, you haven't done the work to give the people the voice to be able to put down that mantle. Right. I mean, so it's it's a whole history of empowerment to be able to say we're all human beings. I don't even know how you go about having that conversation with someone who is just trying for kind of baseline dignity in America. That's really powerful, because when you said that. So when people say all lives matter, it's almost a way not to talk about the universality of people. I mean, it's a not. Yeah, it's shutting it down. And, And it's 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 a common thing that's happened with race relations and and, and um, cross-dialogue race for quite some time now. You find a way to say, we're all doing this, we're all doing this. It's like, well, no. I mean, your words don't match your actions. And, mm. and in some cases, you don't have the power as a single person to affect the kind of changes that you're talking about. You just don't mm. want to hear about it anymore, you know, for some folks. Like, and I think what yeah. happens, Stephen, is that when they... And, you know, without realizing whether they're, when they speak from that position of not having enough power to actually change, um, uh, uh, a, a system, um, in which they are, uh, implicated and implicated. Um, oh, yeah. what, what, what happens a lot is they, they do the fall, they go to the fallback position of, um, oh, well, you know, this is too much work for me. Like you're always talking about race. This is like, why is it, why is it always got to be racist? Or they go to the fallback position of, you know, um, I'm not racist. Like, you know, like, I, I'm right. not to blame for this. Like, Jesus Christ, right. give her, give me a break. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. you know? and, and those are really weak fallback positions because they don't get us any closer to any kind of rationality that might exist. Where we, um, where we, you know, we, we, where we can acknowledge that the thing, the construct exists, but then say to ourselves, but this is not going to keep defining us. Yeah. You know, that's really, I, I just want to say one thing about what you said about this weak fallback, weak fallback positions. Mm. I think we haven't given people the tools or offered them the tools because the tools will help you 
develop the imagination, develop the language. I mean, the issue that we're having right now, three of us are talking about this. We see the um, the nettles, you know, and how hard it is mm-hmm. to do this just among folks who are relatively conscious <laughs> and learned like yourselves. You know what I mean? So it's 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 hard, but I don't think it's impossible. I don't. I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. So, is, so to go back to something, so is it a kind of madness? Is it is is there a way to use the 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 rhetoric, the the discourse of race, in in a positive, healthy way that doesn't that doesn't overemphasize it as kind of an end game. That's a tough I one. I, I, so. You, you, you Go do. Ahead. Go ahead, Seth. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> huh. Because I'm, I'm now, and now that we've talked it out a little bit, I feel like saying, yeah, it is actually a kind of madness. It just happens to be a kind of um, irrationality that has wide, uh, what's the word? Um, wide acceptance. Um, it's just, it's just yeah. a widely held myth, and you know. Uh, Travis, I know, I know this lies in your sort of academic um, wheelhouse. Um, the kind of otherworldly stories, narratives that bind a community together, right? Um, regardless of whether they they come close to being true, still bind us together. Absolutely, yeah. And do you think that what's happening right now, Seth and Travis, that with the race? sort of race, um, the resurgence, and really, not really the resurgence, but the sort of can't look away moment that we're having right now with racial issues in the U.S., do you think it's a good time to really have, not just have the dialogues, but really move on legislation and do some other things? Because I definitely feel like that there is something in the air about America not being able to really confront its past or its present. Everyone's trying to wipe yeah. their hands of something. It's very, yeah. I think it's a really interesting moment. It's not the 50s. This is 2000, you know, it's the 2010s. And it's I know. something's really, and I, I hear people say, you know, if it wasn't for Trump, and it's like, well, no, Trump wasn't the beginning or the end of this. He benefits no. from it. No, that's So as right, long as we yeah. have this sort of like um, high school version of racism, we'll never ever really fully get at the root of it. But people's varied identities. <laughs> are rooted in these things, black and white. Do you know? So how do, it's a, it, I think it's a great moment for this, but what do you guys think? So I, um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, on, I feel, I mean, since we will, to return to that word again, I'm ambivalent about it because on one hand, um, I think the reason that America is still so sick um, and I mean, just we're sick. I mean, insane, whatever you want to call it. I mean, uh, yeah, I try to be a little bit more careful with my words, but I mean, come on, we know the country is fucking sick. We know it. It is. I mean, the reason that, that we, the reason that this conversation is still here, you know, 140 something years after the Civil War is because the country has never really come to terms with its, its uh, slavery. It's never come to terms with slavery and the various other hues that slavery took, whether it be Asian, you know, conscription on the railroads. I mean, you know, it, it, we have never had a real honest national conversation about it ever in our history there are pockets here and there and so 
the fact that you have young people that you know, are socialized in this system that are indignant and and sense the hypocrisy that surrounds them, even though there have been real strides. I mean, we elected Barack Obama as president. We, you know, you there there has been movement on uh, the racial front, but not, but but almost in a like, you know, yeah, you started exercising five days a week, but you're still stuffing your face with hamburgers. <laughs> Like, 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 yeah, okay. I like that analogy. You know, like, okay, I get it. You know, there are some, there are some black Americans. There are some non-white Americans. There are some uh, non, you know, there's some women in positions of power, but really we're still pretty sick about it. Um, And I don't, I don't know. I mean, so yes, I think the time is right, but like, where's the scene? You know, like where, I'm sorry, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I interrupted you. Did you say, where's the scene? Yeah, the seam, S-E-A-M. Like, where do we, like, where's the wedge? Like, where do we, like, where do we put our, like, intellectual, like, wedge in there to try and pry apart to have that conversation to get at what is a disease? I mean, I think we just clearly we're diseased about it in this country. So I have a response. I have uh, actually a few. Um, One is, and I'm scared, and I'm going to be meta-discursive about the, 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 the thing. Um, I, I don't like it when people get into conversations like this and they go, well, you know, I look at this thing and I think that, you know, that's hopeful. Like, typically, like, in the, in, in the art scene, there's always this conversation when we, when we talk about the, 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 the ills of capitalism and, 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 and the gallery system. And we say, well, you know, the Kunsthal model, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I, and I always kind of shrug because it feels like it's more a rhetorical gesture towards some kind of hopefulness. But, that said, I actually am really impressed by what's happening with the Parkland. I, and I don't want to say kids. I think young adults is, 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 is fairer. Uh, because here's what's happening. They're having, like, unbidden. I mean, I, I, they regularly recognize their counterparts who are people of color. And they talk the, the intersectional talk and walk it, right? They're always saying, yes. Oh not, oh, not always, but I've heard them regularly say, we are in a position of privilege, being able to speak from this place because we are white. And so we are holding hands with our brothers and sisters who are not, um, recognizing that, yes, we can empower each other and we are in a position to do so, and we are only going to get there together. So there's something there that is, that is actually genuinely, um, uh, uh, what's the word I want? Um, um, not, not exactly hopeful, but encouraging, really encouraging yeah, about that. And I do want to follow up um, just to say, um, piggybacking on what Stephen has said and what you've said, Travis, and that um, um, it can be, I think it can, the sickness can kind of be encapsulated in this. It's what James Baldwin said, that for America to actually fully realize um, it's, it's potential to, to be the shining city on the hill. You have, Americans are going to have to explain to themselves why they needed a nigger. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's yeah. the question. Like, yeah. why did you need a nigger? He said, because I'm a man. I'm a man, right? Yeah. I'm not a nigger, but you needed one, right? So you, yeah. so you, so you constructed one out of, you know, 
sheer, sheer, sheer magic necromancy. <laughs> well, America perfected it, right? The Europeans invented it. I mean, let's. Oh I mean, yeah, it, it goes, no, that's it right. Goes back, no, that's right. I mean, we perf- we perfect. I don't. I'm not trying to obviate responsibility. I mean, we perfected it. No, like, you're right. That's we right. Do, like we we were like we re-engineered it and we like pared it down to its barest parts right. and made it super efficient and brutal. Right. Um. But. No, that's right. That's the, that's right. That's, the the invention you. belongs to the Brits. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. Fair enough. So. So. Well, what do you also, think? Of, go ahead, Stephen. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just like, it doesn't it also have its roots in Christianity, in the devil, and having some sort of other to explain so, away things that are mysterious or mm, scary or different. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious. I don't have an answer myself. Mm. So yes, in, in in short answer, there in I mean to in, in all large scale, what what. Uh, are often called communities of strangers, right? So where there is no chance that you are going to have an uh, an opportunity to know everyone that is an American or everyone that is a Nigerian or everyone that is, you know, a German or fill in the blank. Um, Those identities are always constructed around an other, right? So um, in in Christianity, it's, uh, you have apostates, you have people that, you know, need to be converted. You have savages, you have, um, uh, what are, pagans was the, was the word for hundreds of years. Right. Um, and, uh, in, in uh, uh, some of the other, some of the other words attached to the other uh, traditions are escaping me right now, but yes, to answer your question, it is always done that way. Uh, but this is the one we have to own, right? I mean, for America, the black body was our other in its most potent distilled form. And it haunts us still, right? That, that construction still haunts us. Um, well, so, what yeah. would it be like to not have a nigger or have an other? Like, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to turn this into necessarily intellectual er- exercise, but I am curious mm-hmm. about what, mm-hmm. what it would feel like or what it would look like not to always have a point of reference where you feel good about what it is that you think you are. Mm. So my, where I, I mean, I, I actually see, it's a question I think about a lot. In fact, it's a lot of the idea behind the American age, actually. Um, and, and my, my current strategy, uh, so I'll just like spell it out. So there's no, like, I can't hide it. <laughs> it's honestly to construct the past as the other. So my, 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 my effort, my gambit, sort of the move that I'm trying to make with the American age is that we, we have to, we have to sort of make distant cousins of our past, meaning that we have to own our past, but we also have to leave it very definitively behind. And I don't just mean our, our, I don't just mean our like 1865, uh, you know, pre post civil war past with Lincoln as kind of like the all father or something like that. I mean, the actual history of our species up to this point. Mm. Um, and, and that we have to understand that, that we can't other each other in the same ways anymore. Otherwise we'll just, we're going to tear ourselves apart. Like we've reached that stage of development, uh, technologically, uh, uh, socially, uh, social complexity-wise, that uh, we have to tell a better story, or we're done. But but then what does that? How doesn't that fly in the face of the kind of? And I'm going to use the word tribal, Stephen. Um, here, it, doesn't that fly in the face of the kind of tribalism that I see 
us, and by, when, when I say us, I mean the, the species, um, the majority of us clinging to desperately. I mean, we, we tend to define ourselves by the tribe. And by tribe, I mean, you know, um, uh, the, you know, the ethnic group, the, the socioeconomic group, the religious group, the gender group, la, 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 la. I, I, I just, I, I feel like that just goes against a lot of what we tend to want to do. Yeah, so I don't think you can get rid of that, right? I, I think that you you have to embrace that and use it. So you know, the Lakota are a pretty good example of that, right? When they, when when uh, Lakota North American uh, Indians uh, Federation really, uh, and when when the Oglala and the Shiganju Oyate and all these other tribal groups would split from one another after kind of the great like potlatch and the Sundance festivals and all of this, they were their own tribes. Like they would often compete for game. They would compete for uh, resources. They would compete uh, um, in war, but they would come together annually or, you know, every two years, three years, depending, and they would be one corporate body then. So I don't, I don't think that I don't think the first move for anyone can be our common humanity. I think the first move is what you said, Seth, which is a kind of tribalism. But that tribalism has to make sense in a larger narrative, in a larger story. And I feel like intellectuals, humanists in particular, have completely dropped the ball with that. Why do you think they dropped the ball? Because I think we're chicken shit. Mm. Because I think, I, I honestly, I think, so for 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 people that are, are uh, liberal, the, you know, people that have liberal progressive sensibilities, like I, I think everyone in this conversation, um, and certainly thinkers that I, I tend to be influenced by, I think I think a lot of them backed uh, communism as the horse in the 20th century, uh, and they got it just so spectacularly wrong um, that the whole idea behind a grand narrative fell apart. And then, you know, if you were to go to school in the, the, the sixties to the nineties or the early aughts, all you would hear is invectives against the grand narrative against like any kind of totalizing story. But you tell me what replaces that, what replaces the grand, what, what replaces a grand narrative? Like every thinker that I love and admire, you brought up James Baldwin, Stephen, like, Talk about a grand, like that is his power, his ethical power came from his ability to call us on our lack of character, right? For mm-hmm. not being the people, not being the people that we claim to be, right? He, he, be. he, he, absolutely. yeah, that's, or could be absolutely right. He read that grand narrative better than any white person in the sixties, right? Fifties. I mean, so anyway, I'm sorry, not to monopolize the conversation. There's some great thinkers in the, in the 20, early 20th century when Baldwin was like coming about, but I think that. The the tumultuous the the war war the war the world wars and cults and some other things that we've talked about before in different ways. Mm-hmm. There's a int- mm-hmm. the the writer the thinkers actually went to literature. They weren't the public mm-hmm. speakers necessarily, and mm-hmm. but I am so excited about what the possibility could be and what that would look like. So I I'm interested in this. I'm interested in watching what happens with this um with what you're saying constructing the past as the other i think that's a really um because then as someone who's interested in the past or interested in yeah anthropologically but also how we do things how um regulating it to the past means that you can access it am i correct but you can't yes rely upon it as a as a um a formula for living mm. right 
Right. So what happens to Southern pride? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, okay. So, um, what happens to pride period? Mm, yeah. Mm, pride in yeah. what? Mm. Yeah. The, the South is a real problem in the United States. I don't mean for its retrograde racism. I mean, there's Atlanta is in the South. It's one of the most, it's maybe the most progressive black city in the country and has been for, uh, you know, eight, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's all relative, my friend. It's all relative. <laughs> wait, 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 no, no, no. Okay, so you got you got to explain that one. Okay, go, Stephen. <laughs> oh no, the Atlanta Char murders. We can just stop there. That's just one way. <laughs> we can just stop there. And I think that after studying it and thinking about it and reading what writers have written about it, including James Baldwin, with the evidence of mm-hmm. things not seen in Tony K. Bambara, these bones are not my child. It started out as a book of nonfiction, but she was that those cases haven't been solved. They used um, Wayne Williams uh, as a straw person to kind of like, you know, because really they needed to stop this. It was affecting tourism. So Steven, Mm -hmm. situate, situate our our listeners. So give us the cliff notes on that. The cliff notes are, is that around a little before 1980, I would say 79 to 80, there were at least Mm -hmm. 30 young boys and girls that were killed and there were there was no one taken to task for it in the sense that the only person that was ever convicted and tried of it and sort of media um, blamed for it, I mean, the media sort of blamed him for it, was Wayne Williams, an African-American mm-hmm. man who had been um, accused of killing someone, but not the kids themselves. And so to this very day, there are conspiracy theories about whether or not the government was in on it, whether or not they were taking these kids to experiment on them. Was it the KKK? There is a significant amount of information in the James Baldwin papers because he wrote about it and was trying to get at the bottom of it. And there were other people as well. And so when I think about racism, I also think about class. And so Atlanta has a really good looking track record on the face of it, sort of like Obama. They have black um, black elected officials. But what does it look Mm -hmm. like on the ground? Mm, And it continues mm -hmm. to look basically the same way. It's still a segregated city. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But. When when you said Travis that you know when you look at Atlanta and you think it's a it's not a black city <laughs> it's just mm. a lot. My friend mm. told me that there are a lot of people in middle management in Atlanta and it looks better than it actually is. And this mm. was maybe ten years ago. And so uh, I appreciate the correction. No, no, it's, no worries. I I I, uh, I did not know that. So oh no worries. No worries. Uh, I always my my sort of my ready at hand reference to Atlanta obviously it goes back to you know kind of Southern Baptist Convention and Martin Luther King and mm-hmm. you know the rest of that so uh, so I, I appreciate the correction. No no worries. I like to complicate it because I think about those kids and I think about those parents and I think about I have a friend who is named after one of the children who was killed. And so when I was actually processing the papers at the Schomburg Center, I saw the file with my friend's name on it. And obviously that's not him, but you know, so Baldwin was getting police reports, clippings from newspapers, firsthand accounts from the families. This is really a painful, this is kind of emblematic of the sort of sensibility that the U S has about, um, black life, you know? Well, actually I want to, I want to say right there that that might be something that we could pick up on too, um, for the next podcast is, um, what does, um, what constitutes black life in the U.S.? Like, what, mm. what, well, how do we, how do we understand what black life is? And, and I, I, I would venture to say that a lot of it comes through popular culture. 
Um, but I mean, you know, we might be able to talk about literature, poetry, um, um, scientific definitions of, of black life. I'd be interested in having that conversation. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that would be a fruitful conversation. Um, oh, absolutely. We'll, we'll, I, believe... I guess we'll, we'll. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Stephen. I'm sorry. I apologize. Just very briefly, there's a podcast that I have to explore that I have yet to do it that actually focuses on the Atlanta child murders. Mm. So um, I'm going to gobble that up before we um, possibly. Recall. Okay. That'll be nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, we'll let uh, Stephen's complication be the last word. So I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, Stephen and Seth, thanks very much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you thank you, Seth. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. All right, gentlemen. Okay. Take care. Yeah. Good afternoon. Bye.